break zero in there. Hello and welcome to The Hill here on News Nation. So did you see this over the weekend? President Biden dealing with two different crashes, you could say. One, his approval rating. The other one, quite literally, happening to his motorcade. The choir weighs in. On the other end, though, did you, did you see what happened with Donald Trump? Because he made some new comments as it related to immigration. And there was a whole host of backlash and commentary there. We'll get into it. Plus, we are live from the southern border here coming up. Brand new numbers in from our Allie Bradley. We will get to her as the negotiations continue here in Washington. And the question of this, what does $78 million get you in this town? A whole lot of Bitcoin, potentially, if that's how you want to spend your money. But there is a big push from the crypto community as well. We'll explain it coming up here on The Hill. Thank you for being with us. Uh, I'm Blake Berman, joined today by Chris Steyerwall, News Nation political editor and senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Kelly Meyer, of course, News Nation correspondent. Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman. And Mick Mulvaney former White House chief of staff in the Trump administration and News Nation political and economic contributor. Here we go. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. All right, so here is a live look uh, at the White House as we begin this final Monday before Christmas. And are there ever some political stocking stuffers? Did you see this? Is it bad luck or an omen of what's to come? Mr. President, why are you losing to Trump in the polls? That sound you heard was quite literally a car crash, a vehicle slamming into President Biden's stationary motorcade as he was being asked about his poll numbers. Hello to you all on a Monday. You're smirking already. Um, it was your opening line. It was, your, the your, crash. was it? Yeah, yeah. You, brought it? You brought it on yourself. It's my, you brought I brought it on myself. Okay, okay. Um, he's asked about his poll numbers, and there's a car crash into, into the motorcade. Um, the president says we're looking at the wrong polls. The ancient Greeks had an epithet. They had a word that they would apply to you if you were in a certain circumstance. And the word for one who struggles and is always having a hard time is agonistes. Okay. And it is Biden agonistes. His <laughs> name is agonistes. Everything is painful right now. Hmm. Every day that we sit here on the set, there is a new problem, a new agony that is laid out for him, and you have encapsulated in this one moment. The, the helpful reporter, hey, why are you awful? Why is your, why, why is your, why is your career garbage? <laughs> Bang, car crash. And you, it, it, it is, it, those are the things that accrete around you when you're president, where it builds this narrative that you are Mr. Agonistes. You're not saying there's a relationship between the crash and the question, because that's what was suggested. Unless the person was being polled. I don't know. Unless the driver was answering it's a poll at that time. But let yeah. me say this. You know, I sit here on this program and I talk about his record and the talking points and what have you. But the reality is, let's not forget one thing. No talking Elections, points here, by the way. No talking yeah, points. Just, this let is, it rip. Uh, 
politics and campaigns are popularity contests still. And despite his record, he's just not popular, right? And so if you're not popular, we need to work on making him more popular with the voters. And that's a very different discussion than Bidenomics and all the other things that they can say that he's done to accomplish, because that's for intellectual voters. That's not for the average man or woman who's voting and going to make a decision a week or two before the primary. So how do you make him more likable? You have to be likable to be electable whether it's state, local, or national election for president. And we haven't done a good job at making him likable. I'm as not sure. It's, is it the likability thing no, with him? Or his approval ratings are 65%. Either this is not yeah. a story or it's got a different spin to it. Uh, I'll do something I don't usually do on this program, which I'll be serious for a second. Um, I'm going to put my chief of staff hat back on. Uh, that's, that's a problem. Not a big problem. Okay. Um, likeability, you mean? No. Oh, no okay. The fact there's an accident that close to the president. Oh, okay. Um, you couldn't see the accident yeah. on the video. Okay, but what, you, what I saw as the former chief of staff was there was a car crossing the street not half a block from him on the other side. I, listen, this is not an assassination attempt. We know that it wasn't. The president was never at risk. I'm not making a bigger deal than this is. But we're going to have a real serious conversation at the White House today hmm. as to how anybody got that close to the president. Was this a, a small breakdown in the security perimeters, so, those types of so things? So I'm glad you bring it up because for the audience at home and as we look at this video, there is a traveling small group of reporters that try that. Go with the president sure. of the United States. This is every administration. Do you know why? Tell me. In case he gets hurt. Exactly. And so an incident like this, you don't get that close to the president um, in, in a vehicle. Like, how, how do you get yeah. that close? I don't know. I don't know. The Secret Service did the right thing. They, they moved the president away quickly after that. Again, this is not a huge deal, but I would be curious to okay. know how this happened. Yeah. Well, he had a parked car. He didn't hit the motorcade itself. Are you saying that? No, I think he had a car in the motorcade. Yeah, he had a yeah. car in the motorcade. Wait, I mean, you're around the president a, a decent amount. Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely concerning this happening. You saw even the president himself very shocked. And I also think it, it was eerie what I was looking at. Obviously, the president was in Delaware today. He was marking the anniversary of his first wife and daughter passing away in a car accident as they were going to get a Christmas tree. Then the night before, there was an accident as uh, with part of his motorcade. And I was just kind of looking at that, just, you know, parallels. It's, this was pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Uh, the president, uh, by the way, some, some polling out over the weekend, you know, when he was asked about the polling, uh, new numbers, President Biden's job performance approved only 34 percent in a Monmouth University poll. It just goes to show where he is at that moment, at this moment. But on the other side, oh. there's also Donald Trump. Uh, not autopilot for him this weekend. He was. <laughs> there is no autopilot for, for Donald Trump. Trump. Yeah. If it was, is it, that's your experience? If, if the man could do autopilot, he would have been president in 2020. If he just <laughs> kept his mouth shut, he would have been president before. So, so roll the clip. Uh, New Hampshire, Donald Trump over the weekend talking about immigration. We got a lot of work to do. You know, when they let, I think the real number is 15, 16 million people into our country when they do that, we got a lot of work to do. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. They poison. Okay, yes, it's a line that uh, is reminiscent of lines that Adolf Hitler used uh, in pre-World War II Germany. I spent a little bit of time with the president. I can assure you the president doesn't read Adolf Hitler's speeches and then go, this is what I'm going to work into my, my, my language, okay? Did he see it at some time in the past? I have no idea. But I do know what's happening from here forward, which is that he used a, a language. The press picks up, oh, my goodness, that sounds a lot like Hitler. And he says, let's go, because I'm going to get as much media attention out of this as I possibly can for the next six weeks. It's going to be everything that everybody's talking about. He is trolling the media when he plays this up.
Well, it's it's uh, a triple bank shot. So yes, <laughs> okay. it is, so it is trolling the media. Certainly, you get uh, this the, the tingle of the censorious outrage, and you know, can you believe what he said? Can you believe what he said? This, of course, antagonizes uh, the people in the media and Democrats to say that this guy is an incipient fascist. But then you activate. So the Republican Party has an autoimmune disorder, okay, which oh. is Trump derangement syndrome exists on both sides. Right. So it's uh, anti-anti-Trumpism. So when the media or the Democrats overreact to something Donald Trump says that's awful, like so this is something it's rotten. It's a rotten thing to say about immigrants that they're poison. There is no blood of the American people. Right. We're a creedal nation. It's an idea. There's no blood to poison. I think and it's all, immigrant blood. And it's and it's all immigrant oh, yeah. blood. So, it's the same okay. blood. So you have the anti-anti-Trump people then rally to his defense. Well, actually, that's not what he was saying. He actually meant this. He actually meant that. So you then consolidate Republicans behind him. And then the third and other key part is... It's a nod to actual bigots. It's an uh, the actual kooks, the actual QAnon, the actual dirtbag community says, oh, I think this guy might be one of us. And Trump gets all three with one shot. Um, he, he was talking about immigration, uh, of course. Ali Bradley, uh, down along the southern border for us, has some brand new reporting. Uh, according to Customs and Border uh, Patrol, in Last month, 130,000, it was averaging 130,000 uh, illegal immigrants uh, at the southern border each day in November. Up until this point so far, that number is 167,000. There is a big story still, as we have been talking about, days into weeks, into months, into years now, down along the southern border. Ali Bradley, come on in with the very latest. Uh, obviously, the, pre- the former president making... You know, uh, a bit of news over the weekend with with those comments. Uh, But I wanted to go to you to, to sort of give us a look at what you're seeing down there. Yeah, let's just stick with the black and white down here in Lukeville, shall we? It's about a 28% increase right now, the first half of December when compared to this time last month. And that is confirmed from CBP sources. This isn't publicly uh, available information that we're able to obtain here. Again, a 28% increase already, and we expect that number to continue to increase because we just saw a group of about 75 people dropped off. Border Patrol has closed off the tents, so you can't see them back there. But they are still coming in, and they are still being processed here in the Tucson sector, which has remained to be one of the busiest sectors along the southern border. It has led the charge over the last couple of months, being the busiest sector uh, down here. And the vast majority are coming through the Lukeville area. For the most part, they're coming through those holes in the wall being cut by human smugglers that we have been there to witness. It's kind of like whack-a-mole down here for Border Patrol agents. As soon as they close up one hole, Blake, they're coming through another hole that was cut by those human smugglers. And last week, what we can tell you here in Texas at Eagle Pass, we know that that place is a mess right Right now, we know there are thousands under the International Bridge waiting to be processed and transported there. Their holding facility has about 5,000 people in it, and it only holds about 1,000 people, Blake. So for some uh, show of what is really happening across the southern border, San Diego is being hit pretty hard. We've got the Lukeville area, Tucson sector being hit really hard. El Paso is now shutting down rail lines, halting the trains there because they're seeing an influx. Eagle Pass, as you can see, quite the mess. So we are seeing an uptick across the border. And what this means here, Blake, when we pull all these agents for transport and process, we close the Lukeville port, right? We pulled those CBP officers. That means that the cartel is effectively capitalizing on the poorest border. There aren't agents out there to stop gotaways. This is a gotaway sector. This is where the fentanyl comes in. There's nobody out here to stop the people that are not coming in to self-surrender, Blake.
Wow, Allie Bradley live for us once again uh, along the southern border. Allie, thank you very much. Uh, strengthening the, the security at the southern border, of course, is one of the priorities of the, the new Freedom Caucus chair. Uh, the Congressman Bob Good, he says he's going to use every means at his disposal to, to try to fi- uh, fix the situation down there along the southern border. And joining us now is the Congressman from the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia, rather, right? Correct. Commonwealth of Virginia. Don't want to mix that up. Uh, Congressman Bob Good, thanks for being back here on the Hill. Appreciate the time as always, sir. Great to be with you again. Thanks for having me. Yep. Um, so as you know, in Washington, uh, we have been following this, this potential deal, border security, Israel funding, Ukraine funding. And it, it's in the hands right now of the Senate, right? Republican uh, negotiators in the Senate are, are are doing as they wish. Uh, I wonder what the must-haves are, as you see it. You're going to be the head of the House Freedom Caucus uh, here in a couple weeks. I, I wonder what your must-haves are, what your group's must-haves are when it comes to the southern border. Very simply, the House has done its job and passed the strongest border security bill in history, codifying into law the great policies that were working under President Trump. It was a bill primarily authored by Chip Roy and Andy Biggs of the Freedom Caucus, and it does things like reinstate, remain in Mexico, complete the border wall, end catch and release, uh, detain or return policies are reinstated. It is a strong border bill. It has the policies that were working codifies them into law so a future president couldn't just change it by executive action. That is the House's position. It's been sitting there over in the Senate for months now. And Speaker Johnson uh, has said, and, and he must hold the line and say, this is the House position. The Senate should pass the H.R. 2 bill. We're not going to consider any other phony, pretend, weak, milk toast, watered-down, pretend border security that just uh, process, sends more resources to Mayorkas you know, to bring more illegals in the country more quickly. That's the House position. That, along with performance you, metrics, where there's demonstrated okay. reduction in this massive, unprecedented flow. You mentioned Donald Trump. Uh, you, of course, right now, though, are, are not supporting Trump in the, in the primary. You're supporting Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis uh, said this of, of Donald Trump the other day, essentially saying uh, he didn't go far enough on the border wall, and certainly Mexico did not pay for it, which was his major campaign promise. DeSantis, quote, I think he got distracted, and he didn't do it on day one, but two, he didn't utilize the levels, uh, levers of power that he had. Is Ron DeSantis right there, Congressman, in his criticism of Donald Trump? Well, I won't get in between those two on that res- in that respect, but I just will say that there was l- illegal, illegal immigration was largely eradicated under President Trump. It was at very low man- uh, measurable levels. Uh, the previous Department of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, had said if we ever got to a thousand a day, it would be a disaster that uh, of unprecedented proportions and it would be unmanageable. Now, as you know, we're in the tens of thousands per day under this president. This president's policies are the enemy. Uh, president. Trump, we need to build on what he did by codifying it into law, and the House is trying to do its job accordingly. I know you say you don't want to get b- between those two congressmen, and, and I understand it, um, but you are going to be leading the House Freedom Caucus. Uh, and there have been some concerns among those, uh, or at least around it, I guess, um, and maybe even inside, that how can you lead the House Freedom Caucus if you're not backing Donald Trump? Here was Marjorie Taylor Greene. I know she was kicked out of that group, but she said this about you. She said, quote, uh, you're basically a traitor. You had no loyalty to President Trump, who had endorsed him, supported him when he ran for Congress in 2020. What would you say to those who say, you know what, you got to back Trump to lead that group? Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene's upset because Kevin McCarthy got removed from 
uh, from the speaker position. She backed him unconditionally. She's upset because she got kicked out of the Freedom Caucus. But the bottom line is President Trump did a great job on immigration, did a great job on the border. Governor DeSantis did a great job in Florida uh, trying to fight for that to that effect, sending National Guard troops to the border, um, busing illegals out of his state up into the northern states where they've said they want to be sanctuary states and sanctuary cities. Both would be a tremendous improvement over this current okay. border invasion facilitated by this president. This is the greatest harm ever done intentionally to the United States by any president in our history. All right, Congressman, good. Uh, Got to leave it there. I know you, I'm not sure if you could see it, but a live look uh, at Eagle Pass, Texas, just part of the uh, situation down there at the southern border. We'll have you on, on back in the new year. Happy New Year, sir. Thank you. Yep. Um, all right, still to come here on the Hill on News Nation coming up after the break. Uh, live look at the White House here. So there's some brand new polling out about the state of the presidential race. Donald Trump. Joe Biden, where does it all stand and what does it all mean going forward? Steyerwalt breaks it down on the other side of the break. And did, did any of you see this over the weekend? <laughs> this right here. The, the, the sort of entrance from Donald Trump at the UFC match. No one saw it? Yeah. He keeps doing this. He keeps doing yeah, this. He keeps he doing keep, it. Exactly. Yeah. He keeps going to the UFC events. Why? There, there's a theory behind this, and we'll get into it on the other, other side of the break. The Hill on News Nation back in a few. All right, welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So President Biden's job approval rating hit an all-time low in a new Monmouth University poll. Steyerwalt is here to break it all down. By the way, also has a new look uh, at our new interactive tool from our friends over at Decision Desk HQ and The Hill to help you sort through all of the 2024 election data. Chris? You know, I like polls. I know you do. I do. I like polls. I like good polls. But there's not a lot of good polls out there. There's not a lot of the primo polling that I like to have. So what's a fella to do? How am I supposed to find my way in this bewildering world of polling data? So, for example, Monmouth poll comes out. Joe Biden. Do they like him? Do people like Joe Biden? Oh, no, that's bad. Thirty four percent. You don't have to have been a math major to know that a thirty four percent job approval rating is bad. But is that a big deal? Is it in the context of anything? Well, what if you were to have a cooler looking graphic like this? What if you did that? What if you could plot out all of the data points for all of the job approval numbers for Joe Biden over time, and you would find out that over time, and you can see, actually, I don't know if we can show the beginning of it again. There's a lot of data in there. This is the evidence that there's actual data in here and that we're not just making <laughs> this up. But if we could, you could see, you could track the little spots. You could go along at the dates, like here comes the October 7th. There you go. You see the, that big ripple there at the end where the disapproval goes up and the approval goes down? What's what happens around then? The October 7th attack. And you can see in hindsight the ripple effect. That's why what we try to do here is not give you instant blabber reaction to say, well, this is going to do this and this is going to do that. Sometimes you have to let it sit. You have to see how it's going to work. And then you have time to see whether it means something. For example, I'll tell you this much. For example, what about the new poll in New Hampshire? New Hampshire to its friends that shows Nikki Haley rocketing up to 29 percent, which in the terms of how the Republican contest has been so far uh, is uh, pretty good, pretty daggone good. That's actually within striking distance and closing ground fast. What's the problem? It's not a good poll. Oh, yeah, that's right. It's the CBS News poll that they do with YouGov, the El Cheapo uh, weak poll, uh, to use a Trumpian term, uh, that they use. It's not a great poll, so should we disregard it? No, I have a better idea. 
What if we were to put it in context with all the other polling? What if we brought up the, oh, there it is. Look at the lines. And you can, I don't know what the ad for that person sleeping is. <laughs> these number. These polls will not put you to sleep. These polls will just light a fire within you. The Hill Decision Desk HQ polling aggregator will really help you understand these things. And you can see, I don't know if we can re-rack that and show it again instead of just the fact that they're all in there. There it is. Oh, it was there and then it went away. But you can see Ron DeSantis, the earth fall out from beneath Ron DeSantis's boot heels. You can see Nikki Haley climbing, climbing, climbing up over there. And again, why do we do these things? Why is this a better way to talk about polling and data? It's because sometimes you have a bad poll. Sometimes you have a good poll. Sometimes you have this poll. Sometimes you have that poll. If you average them out and graphically put them up in a way that you can access, it becomes more helpful. So... Our friends at the Hill, our friends at Decision Desk HQ have made your life better. So there you go, America. Starwalt breaks awesome. it down. Yeah, it's pretty awesome, right? For those yeah. of us who follow this stuff. When, yeah, I'm, I'm not as much of a geek as he is, but I'm a geek. And what, mm-hmm. what, what we used to do when we were actually the people being polled, right, was you couldn't look at the numbers day to day. You looked at the trends. Right. If you went from 17 to 21 to 19 to 23, that was good. But you did know if you were 17 or 23, you're moving in the right direction. I right. think that's what we're seeing here is that Biden's moving in the wrong direction. DeSantis is moving in the wrong direction. Nikki's moving in the right direction. I'll, I agree with you. If you dig down into that CBS poll, that's, that's really junky. Only about a third of the people identified as conservative MAGA voters versus half of the people in the, in the similar Iowa poll. So there's a lot of data there, but the trends are exactly what Chris just said. And you know, uh, there's a big story. I think it's the Post. Is it Post or the Times? Big story about the grumbling inside the White House. That was uh-huh. the Post. Post. The Post. Yeah, Washington Post. Yeah. Uh, about the president and the first lady complaining about these low, no- low poll numbers. Biden said to be increasingly frustrated by dismal poll numbers. Yeah. In one recent meeting, he said poll numbers were unacceptably low and wanted to know his, what his team and campaign uh, were doing. You said something to me before the show that was brilliant. Which- and and right, right before the unluckiest man in Delaware crashed into <laughs> the back of the presidential motorcade. Talk about a bad Sunday night. Um, the, the, he was asked, you know, they're the wrong polls. Uh, and the idea that somehow Biden is undeservedly low in his polling, maybe he deserves a low. Maybe people are unhappy. Maybe they don't like things. Maybe he deserves it. But what we haven't started doing yet, what we haven't really talked about yet, mm-hmm. Trump's numbers are higher than they should be, right? So Biden's mm-hmm. lumber, maybe Biden deserves a low approval rating. But Trump is benefiting from the absence factor, right? Yeah. He's been out of the conversation substantially for a while. And as we saw over the weekend, he's not afraid to get back in the conversation. Yeah, but quick question. What about timing, though? How much more time does Biden have and Trump have to get a reality check on where these numbers settle on as we move closer to November 2024? Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has until about the first week of June, yes. at which point... Attitudes about the economy will harden. If the American people believe that the economy is good, Joe Biden will get reelected. If they think the economy stinks, he'll lose. All right. Well, as we mentioned a moment ago, uh, that new interactive tool that we have is to help you sort through all of the election data. It's called the 2024 Election Center, a live database of polls updated in real time from our partners at Decision Desk HQ in the Hill. URL right there, bottom of your screen, elections2024.thehill.com. Bookmark it. Right now. All right. uh, Coming up here still on the Hill on News Nation, $78 million. What do you think that gets you here in Washington? Is it enough to move the needle when it comes to crypto? There is a big push now in the crypto community to try to put lawmakers in town that are friendly to them. Can they do it? And and again, does the 78 million bucks move the needle? Uh, Mick has some thoughts on this on the other side of the break. And do you guys just hate it when... You get the text with the green bubble. 
Oh, the it's no, like the worst thing, no. right? You hate it. There's the blue bubbles, the green bubbles, right? Like right. It's, it stinks. It's no good. The oat Sorry, milk of text. The lawmakers, <laughs> the lawmakers are jumping in now. A new letter to the Department of Justice. Uh, they, uh, Apple did something. The lawmakers ain't happy about it. And now the DOJ could jump in. The battle over the blue bubble. When the hell returns. Uh. <laughs> Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. So consider this for a moment. The race for president in 2024, along with the battle for Congress. Two stories that we see front and center today, but probably would not have just a couple years ago, for example. Here's one. That right there, of course, Donald Trump, he once again was attending a UFC fight. Now, the former president was there to watch Colby Covington, a staunch supporter of the former president, face off against Leon Edwards. It was the, the main event over the weekend. Here's how the Associated Press framed it. Quote, this is part of a broader effort to expand Trump's appeal with young people and minority voters, particularly Latino and black Men, Kelly, I think this is the like the fourth time that, that Trump's gone to one of these uh, UFC events. Yeah, you keep seeing it on his social media feeds. He keeps sharing this. It shows the big crowds, everybody coming out and cheering for him, something that he loves. Been covering him for a while now, and it's, <laughs> he definitely loves a big crowd, so he keeps showing up at these kind of things. Uh, but, you know, I think... You know, that crowd seems like they would probably go out and vote for him, you know. But I think I was just out there talking with Iowa voters, taking the pulse of the people like you were last week. And, you know, they are preparing. I talked to one independent left-leaning. He said, I'm preparing for Trump to win here and be the nominee. I'm just preparing myself for that. And uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of votes left undecided, but they might go over to Trump in the end. So. Smart politics there? Uh, for him, uh, white working class men who are not college educated tend to go to those events. And you really like UFC if you go to the event, let alone watch it. What's interesting about the intro commentary was that it was an effort to reach out to black men and Latino men. And I don't think they're a dominant figure in the U UFC fighting. They're fans, don't get me wrong, but I don't think there are a lot of black and brown folks in that crowd. Uh, there would be in Texas. It's, they actually do quite well. Their wrestling is yeah. big in that community. Uh -huh. no quite, but look, yeah. they, there's the bottom line. What did Ron DeSantis do this weekend? Hmm. What did Nikki Haley do this weekend? I have no idea. Right. <laughs> but you, know you got what, the I video of exactly Trump, Trump at the UFC match. <laughs> um, I, look, I, I think the idea of Trump uh, as the way to troll and upset people, right? So the idea that, yeah, I like Trump. He's in your face. He makes you mad. He, your, your mom will be mad if you vote for <laughs> Donald Trump. The anti-hero. So uh, Donald Trump's connection to wrestling before he got into UFC, he was part of the show at the World Wrestling Federation yeah. or whatever, World Wrestling. He wrestled himself. Yeah. He wrestled and all that stuff. So Donald Trump plays a character that we know from wrestling. It's called the heel and the heel is the villain who likes your boos. Boo at me. You boo me. You hate me. Yeah, boo, boo. Give me the boos. Trump loves it. And uh, his supporters, guys who are sick and tired of being sick and tired and all that stuff, they like it too. He was there supporting uh, Colby Covington, who, who lost the main event. And this is what he said afterwards. The judges have never favored me. They hate me because I support Trump. And, you know, everybody hates Trump in this building. So... You know, it is what it is. Life goes on. Uh, oh, <laughs> Dana White was basically like, he's too slow. He's kind of, you know, washed up. And, but that was the thing. They, 
They didn't give me the match because I support Trump. So people are saying it's a, the most rigged match anybody <laughs> has ever seen. It's the most rigged match ever. It's fake news. Too. Fake news. He really fake won. News. He All really right. Won. So uh, while the, uh, the former president is attending a UFC fight, another unexpected force <laughs> is entering the 2024 campaign. How about this headline? I woke up to this today. Quote, crypto titans launched 2024 election play with $78 million super PAC spend. Crypto, uh, making a play, Mick, I start with you because you were, tell me who you were at one point in time, the um, first. Yeah, I started the Blockchain Caucus. I started the Blockchain Caucus a, with this a or, decade ago. With this industry. This is real money. This is, this is George Soros type yeah. of money. So before, before you get into that, 2022 election contributions. Uh, George Soros spent, basically, Soros Fund, $179 million in 2022. Uh, Citadel, which is Ken Griffin, $72 million. Mike Bloomberg, uh, you know, or what's associated with Bloomberg, 64 million. So when you're talking about 78 million, that's real money, Mick. It is. And then what people back home will say, oh, my goodness, this will buy your votes. It doesn't buy votes. Uh, and people say, oh, it buys access. It doesn't really buy access. What it buys is attention. Okay? Mm. You're going to hear more and more and more about this particular topic on the Hill in the years to come, in the year to come, because of this amount of money. Uh, Elizabeth Warren just introduced a bill on crypto. Uh, crypto has gone back and forth in the Senate a couple times on bills. It's sort of been percolating right under the surface. You could expect this to come to the top and get a lot of attention. I don't know if it interests a lot of people, right. but the people it does interest interest them a lot. Passionate to the point where you see regulators. Yeah. The regulation yeah. of crypto is coming, and that $78 million, which you said, is going to be spent on fighting these bills that are going to try to put crypto under some type of regulatory but, scheme. And I don't mean to interrupt, but this uh-huh. is the, the one really interesting thing about this is it, 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 this is one of the increasingly rare things in Washington, D.C. that does not fall neatly into party lines. So it doesn't fall into party lines, but I wonder, and they're trying to raise $100 bucks, right? So this is just the start. If you're raising for candidates in the crypto community... Are you going to be backing candidates in their 60s, 70s, and 80s? Or are you backing candidates in their 20s, 30s, and 40s? Depends on what this This cuts across ages. It, okay, you it think really so? does. Um, I, I'm not going to out her for her age, but I mean, Cynthia Lummis is probably at least my age, and she's really, really good on crypto. Hmm. Elizabeth Warren, probably a little bit older than I am, really, really bad on crypto. No, no, this doesn't fall neatly into any, any sort of categories, which will make it a really interesting debate. Well, the differential will be those who want to regulate cryptos, and that's, those tend to be Democrats. We like to regulate everything and want government about. <laughs> and Republicans, but maybe, like maybe not. Like new yeah, tech. We, we like new tech too. But the Republicans who tend to be the the traditional Republicans right. who, are, who are free capitalists and free markets will probably be their allies. But we'll have to see. You can spread a lot of money around if you got seven eight million dollars to yeah. spread around. Uh, it's 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 a big number and yeah. interesting to think about where all of that goes in the upcoming year. Uh, speaking of money. Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) What is Mark Zuckerberg doing? He's got a secret compound right now uh, in his house uh, in Hawaii, right? Like a 5,000 square foot underground shelter. If you had all the money in the world like Mark Zuckerberg has, he's building an underground shelter. He's still just like moving in under Oprah, though. So he's still not. It's still not. He's still not as big a deal. You know, I I, I read this and I thought about another piece of uh, business news today, which is that uh, U.S. Steel has yeah, agreed to, has one. agreed to, has agreed that. to sell itself to uh, uh, Japanese the, the ma- major Japanese steel manufacturer. And I grew up uh, in the Ohio Valley. I grew up where uh, U.S. Steel was a big deal and a big big deal. So I did some research. 
Okay. U.S. Steel once upon a time had a market when it uh, when it was initiated had a market valuation that would have made it about as big as Facebook was at its peak. I think it was the biggest company in the world at one point. Well, it was the largest IPO in history when it came out. It was largest IPO in history, and U.S. Steel is now smaller than Best Buy. And if you want to feel small, be smaller than Best Buy. Mark Zuckerberg is very rich. The internet is a really big deal. Social media is a really big deal, but. Time, what did Ron DeSantis say the other day? Uh, Father time is undefeated. undefeated. Father time is undefeated. And the truth for whatever you think you've gotten, whatever's going on, we're all going to the same place. It all ends okay. up and in the, the same place. Real, real quick, the, the Biden administration, are they going to allow the U.S. steel deal to go through, do you think, because it's being bought by a Japanese company? Yeah. And I just wonder, they're, they're not big on, on mergers and acquisitions. Uh, I don't know enough about the economics of it from the business side of it, whether or not they think it'll have a negative impact on the market, right? I, I do know a little bit about the foreign policy considerations that would go into it in a, on a CFIUS basis. We have yep. a group that reviews, Cif- right. exa- reviews overseas acquisitions or acquisitions of American assets and companies by non, non-American companies. My guess is this one will be okay on that part because Japan hmm. is, is an ally of ours. It's not like a Chinese company buying a, a U.S. Steel. Are we the only ones that would rather talk U.S. Steel than Zuckerberg? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, it, it is. It is. I'm not like, impressed. He doesn't own the whole island. That's what <laughs> yeah, that's, again, Oprah is. Oprah, Oprah is on top, and this yet again, Oprah comes out on top. Sorry, right. Zuckerberg. Uh, we'll come it up here on the Hill on News Nation. Uh, really big story overseas. Attacks in the Red Sea right now. Uh, there are. There, there's the geopolitical component to this, of course. And then we also heard from one of the biggest CEOs in shipping today say, you know what? Expect price hikes here at home in January because of all of this. We will talk to Morgan Ortegas coming up on the other side of the break. What's going on in the Red Sea with the Houthis and how they're having to to reorganize ships? That's coming up. And by the way, uh, we did a thing. We have a newsletter. It's called Decision Desk 24. Blake Berman, Mies, Campaign Views. Ooh. Oh, I get it. You get it? Uh, Nick gets up. it. Nick subscribes. QR code top right of your screen. It's slicing our show in your inbox every week. The Hill on News Nation. Coming right back. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, here on News Nation, so today the oil giant BP announced that it is pausing oil shipments through the Red Sea. This after Houthi rebels, the Iranian-backed militant group, attacked another two commercial ships in the Red Sea earlier today. Over the weekend, the USS Kearney shot down 14 attack drones that originated from the Houthi-controlled areas of Yemen. Morgan Ortegas, uh, of course, is the founder of Polaris National Security, host of the Morgan Ortegas Show on Sirius XM. Hello to our audience on Sirius XM, by the way. Uh, Morgan, also, as you might know, the former State Department spokesperson in the Trump administration and joins us live. Hi there, Morgan. Uh, happy Monday. This is a big deal, something I know that is um, of, of big importance to you. Explain what's going on and why we need to be paying attention to this. Yes, I've been screaming about the Houthis for almost three years now, and unfortunately we are paying attention. I I really have. And and unfortunately we're paying attention to it, not because I've been screaming about it, but because 
We're waking up almost every single morning in the United States and in Great Britain, uh, and you're seeing uh, the Houthis are using missiles, they're using drones, they're even uh, seizing ships. Uh, you're seeing this constantly. So who are the Houthis? Essentially, as I've talked about many times on the show, Iran, they don't like to do the dirty work themselves. They like to do their bidding throughout the Middle East through proxy terror groups. One of their proxy terror groups are the Houthis. They are in Yemen. This used to be uh, kind of like like an annoying terrorist group. It was almost kind of an afterthought, right? Because we were dealing with al-Qaeda uh, we were dealing with ISIS and others. The Houthis, because of Iranian funding, training, and equipping, have become an incredibly sophisticated terrorist group, one that can actually uh, you know, take over commercial vehicles. And you're seeing U.S. ships and British ships, now it feels like almost on a daily basis, especially since October 7th, uh, have to intercept uh, missiles and drones. Mm. And so this has gone, again, from what was a regional problem to something that is now affecting freedom of navigation, is affecting international trade, and it's become a problem for the world. You mentioned freedom of navigation. Uh, Ryan Peterson is the CEO of Flexport, one of the big uh, shipping and logistics companies. And I found this interesting, Morgan, uh, what he said earlier today and how it could potentially impact many of us or all of us uh, next month. Watch, and I'll get your, your take on the other side. Ten largest ocean carriers in the world, so representing about 85% of container capacity, have rerouted. The 6% decrease in capacity could lead to a price increase for shippers, for the companies that need to move cargo of 2 to 3 to even 4x. So he's basically saying, Morgan, uh, expect price hikes on cargo next month. Um, But I wonder, what, what do you think the Houthis are trying to do? Are they trying to draw us in, in that region, or are they, and, and, uh, make it prolonged, or are they trying to get us out of there ASAP? Yeah, I, I would say they're trying to get us out. Well, first of all, let's get some context here. Uh, since 2015 to 2022, uh, the Houthis launched over 1,000 missiles and over 350 drone strikes uh, just into Saudi Arabia. This doesn't uh, count even what they did uh, into UAE. Uh, they have a habit, by the way, they have gone after, uh, like, air- airports. So this has uh, been a Dubai International Airport, Abu Dhabi. Uh, they've taken Saudi oil infrastructure offline. They have attacked it. And again, this is all doing the work of the Islamic Republic of Iran. So while Houthi attacks uh, are not new and have disrupted transportation and disrupted Saudi oil infrastructure, that actually happened uh, in the Trump administration. I was spokesperson when that happened. Uh, The difference is, is because we have completely lost any semblance of deterrence in the Middle East and because Iran has been so emboldened by the Biden administration, you now see their proxy terror groups acting with impunity. You see the Shia militia groups. They've reached as uh, Uh, Over 100 attacks against U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. Those are some of the groups like Khattab Hezbollah and others that Iran funds in Iraq. And, of course, you see them. And, again, I I would stress, yes, this is a terror group, but whenever they take over some of these ships, the weaponry, they're using things like ballistic missiles. This is just not your run-of-the-mill terror group that we remember, you know, after 9-11. These are sophisticated weapons, sophisticated attacks, and the U.S. has got to punch back, and it's got to be more than just what Secretary Austin proposed um, yesterday. All right, got to leave it there. Morgan Ortegas, good to talk to you as always. Hope to but see you soon. But I have so much more to it. say, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> I know, for three years, you say, you've been talking about this nonstop. Like, I'm Morgan, I, I'm telling you, at home, whenever we are here, Morgan brings us up, like, in the commercial break or, you know, whenever. And so I, I wanted to go straight to the source.
Morgan Ortegas, Morgan, thanks. Thanks, Blake. Yep, see you soon. Uh, real quick, Mick, you were nodding along yes with that the whole time, and you say there's second, third order effects here. Sure there are. I mean, I, I think you asked the right question, which is what is the real purpose here? I think the purpose is to draw other people into the war. That's, that's what Gaza was about. Excuse me, that's what the original invasion on October 7th was about. That's what this is about. Keep in mind, the Palestinians, the Iranians felt like they were getting frozen out by the Abraham Accords. They felt like things were getting ready to change against their interest in the Middle East, and they decided to try and... Right. do this, which is what, what they're doing. So I think it's the exact right question to ask. The economic impact will be real. It will be less severe in the U.S. and in Asia than it will be in Europe hmm. because the Red Sea routes, the ones that go from the Persian Gulf into Europe. We do not import any oil in this country from the Middle East, but obviously oil is a worldwide right. product. So if price goes up one place, it goes up every Feel place. All right, let's bring in Elizabeth Vargas. Uh, Elizabeth. Hello, happy Monday. Nice to see you. Happy uh, Monday. S- happy Monday. Big story over there. You know, I, I, when, when I heard that CEO of, of Flexport, one of the biggest companies, basically say, you know what, get ready for price hikes next month, potentially. I, I, th- there's obviously the geopolitics of all this and then the economics of, of all this, too. Yeah, and I actually I think Mick just raised a good point that was bouncing off what uh, Morgan was saying. We're going to be talking in a few minutes to Norman Rule, who's the former national intelligence director for Iran, about this precise issue. What is Iran's endgame here? Are they trying to draw the U.S. into a regional war or not? Uh, because these Houthi rebels, these attacks are having real-world consequences that will be felt. So we're going to talk to him all about that. He's also going to weigh in on the killing of those three Israeli hostages by the IDF on Friday. He's going to go into a little bit more in-depth on what Hamas is doing to try and lure IDF soldiers into a trap, including, get this, backpacks with tape recordings of children Mm. crying and speaking in Hebrew. So there's some some very deliberate tactics underway, which might go a tiny way to explain how this mistake happened uh, on Friday. I'm sure you've seen all the video of the massive protests in Israel as a result. So lots of pressure. All right, uh, Elizabeth, we'll see you in about six, seven minutes' Sounds time. Good. Have a great show. Thanks. You can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports 6 o'clock Eastern right here on News Nation. And coming up, it is the battle over the blue bubble. Lawmakers now jumping in. Don't, don't You know the green bubble that you get on text? And you're like, ugh, it's the green bubble. My gosh, get an iPhone. Now the DOJ could be weighing in on this because of something that Apple did. Senators have fired off a letter. We'll tell you about it. Final thoughts from the panel as well when we return. Tonight on News Nation, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu joins Chris Live. What his recent endorsement of GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley means for the future of the Republican primaries. Tonight on Cuomo. Before we say goodbye, here's something that caught our eye. It is the battle for the blue bubble, you could say, right now when Apple users text Android phones. The text messages appear in a green bubble. Well, a new app, it's called Beeper Mini, turns those Android messages from green to blue, making everyone feel better about those group chats. Now, days after its launch, Apple tried to slow down the app. Well, now a bipartisan group of lawmakers are asking the Department of Justice to investigate Apple over whether they violated antitrust laws. They write, quote, We are therefore concerned that Apple's recent actions to disable Beeper Mini harm competition, eliminate choices for consumers, and will discourage future innovation and investment. There you go. Your Congress at work over the blue bubble. 
This is all you, Berman. <laughs> I just want all the bubbles blue. Thank you, senators. When all bubbles are blue, no bubbles are blue. Maybe after the buying the company, who 